Are you expecting something? Yes. Good. Never come to church unless you expect something. You're wasting your time and everybody else's unless you expect something. It's like going to a restaurant and not being hungry. You're taking up a seat, but you're not creating any price. So there must be a hunger. God says when we come into his presence to expect something, whenever we expect, he meets the expectation. Prophetic words, when we take a hold of them, they create a momentum in our lives that we move forward toward destiny. Destiny was always waiting for you, and there is potential always resident in you. But the key to going from potential to provision is walking out the prophetic. The potential is there. The possibility has been spoken, but you can't get there until the prophetic begins to unlock within you the keys and the moments that God says, if you'll stand in this, overcome this, see this, you can get there and achieve your future. So the prophetic is not to make us feel better. It is to awaken inside of you what God already knew was there. There is greatness inside of you you never imagined. There is an overcomer inside of you you have not yet seen. There is a victor inside of you that's waiting to get out. There's a lion inside of that lamb. And God sends the prophetic to wake inside of us the full potential of what we've been carrying all along. I don't start at 40 and work my way to 60. We start at 60 because we're going to take off. So you got to catch up with me. So when God begins to move, there's a place he's bringing us to. I believe this is an apostolic house. So my assignment this morning, when the Lord woke me up, he woke me up and he said three words to me, apostolic house momentum, apostolic house momentum. The Lord said to me, that place is apostolic. It is a house and they're gaining momentum. And I want you to talk to them about the keys to an apostolic house. So this morning, I want to do here what I've done in many other nations for years is talk about the possibilities of an apostolic house. A prophetic house is different than an apostolic house. When a house moves in the prophetic very strong, what it does is it changes mindsets, it changes worship, and it changes hunger. When the prophetic hits an area, when we haven't been used to it and we begin to prophesy, the prophetic is normal in this house now. Healing is normal in this house now. You have healing teams. You have prophetic teams. You're moving in it, and it has become part of your normal. When the prophetic first encounters you and you begin to move in it, the Lord awakens in you a new form of worship. You begin to go deeper in worship. You begin to expound and express yourself differently because when you encounter his presence, he ignites in you a face-to-face -face revelation that you're not standing outside the veil. You are face-to-face, -face. that you're not trying to get connected. You're already connected, that you're not trying to get past your sin. He took you past your sin, that you're not struggling with your identity because that man died. So when you encounter him and that encounter goes into its fullness, he births in you a new knowledge of who you are, which creates fresh worship. If you are encountering the presence of God and going deeper with him and you're still worshiping the same way you've always worshiped, something's missing. When you were dating your girlfriend, you kissed her on the cheek. When you got married, you took her home. Covenant allows greater access. Ah, some of y'all will get that of Mars. Some of y'all ask married people to explain it. I ain't got time. <laughs> and for the ones that didn't like it, I'm going to slow down and say it again. Now, what happens is covenant gives greater access. Before we understood the fullness of our covenant, we worshiped differently because we were worshiping with the mindset that all of my issues disconnected me. But Jesus said, I am doing something for you you couldn't do for yourself. I'm baptizing you in me. I'm giving you a brand new identity. When you wake up after baptism, you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. So when you begin to understand the fullness of this relationship he's given you, you stop worshiping as though you've got to go through all of the ramifications and purifications and the outward models. We are not outside the gate anymore. So your bad day doesn't mess up his good provision. If the power of God was controlled by your day, 
then God, by definition, is not God. Because if anything can control him, he is not God. Therefore, what God did for you is not controlled by what happened to you. Is this all right? Is this all right? I'm going to walk slow, but we're going to dig deep. Now, what begins to happen is every time you encounter God's presence, I call it prophetic encounters. When you encounter him, when you have those moments where you had a dream, you encountered his presence, there was a supernatural touch of God, a healing came, God spoke to you. All of those were moments when he woke up in you the very knowledge of his reality. You began to experience the expression of his love. You began to know he's more real than I ever thought he was. And at that moment, your hunger grows. You can't get hungry for something you, doesn't, you don't know is there. You never got hungry for Chinese food until you went to a Chinese restaurant. Experience creates hunger. Until I visited my first Chinese restaurant, until I first ate uh, jerk chicken. I love jerk chicken. If you if you know anything about Jamaican food, there is food called jerk chicken. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Jerk spices. It's chicken. If it's made just right, it's hot enough to make you get saved. (laughs) I met Jesus twice the last time I ate it, Pastor Steve. I, I met him twice. My first bite and my last bite, I called on his name. I, I bit in. I said, oh, Jesus, this is good. The last bite, I said, Lord, help me. I got to make it through this meal. Now, when you encounter something for the first time, it creates in you hunger because you didn't know what you were missing till you tasted it. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. So God calls us by definition to encounter him on a regular basis by increasing the taste. So God says, and when you reach a level of experience, I'm going to give you another bite of something new. So the reason many of us are not experiencing something new is because we never swallowed the old. I don't know if I like the way the Lord does that. He says, well, I'm going to leave it on your plate till you eat it. I don't know if I agree with that revelation. I'm going to leave it on your plate till you eat it. I don't like the way they did that last Sunday. I'm going to leave it on your plate till you eat it. Like us with our children. No, clean your plate. I want dessert. Clean your plate. I want dessert. Clean your plate. Well, I'm not going to finish it. Well, it'll be there in the morning. Now, I know some of you don't do that anymore, but when I was a boy, we were raised that until you finish what was on the plate, it showed up every meal thereafter. Now, some of you call that cruelty. I call it teaching because good teaching tells a child your way is not how the world is going to respond to you so why should I teach you a bad example because the police are not going to say oh tomorrow is another chance so you eat what's there so that you can receive what's next God now brings us into his presence. These prophetic encounters is God saying, as you come into every encounter, there's a next I'm trying to get you to. The prophetic is not the ultimate model. The prophetic sets the groundwork for the apostolic. The prophetic creates a hunger, creates a new sound of worship, creates a new passion. When the passion reaches the place where we are now not looking back to anything from our past, when the hunger reaches a place where we receive whatever God gives us, and when the worship reaches a place where the sound of unity is more important than the sound of reputation, at that point, the apostolic begins to break loose. Because now the apostolic is we shall build where the prophetic has dug deep. The apostolic is we shall instruct and send out where the prophetic has finally changed the thought patterns. So each one builds on the next. Now, when the apostolic model kicks in, the apostolic model builds in a location so that it can one day build in nations. It is the reproduction of a model. So I just want to talk for a minute. I hope this is all right this morning. Is this okay? It's okay. Whenever God is going to deal with a system, this is deeper than where I was trying to go, but whenever God is going to deal with a system, he creates a model. When you look at scripture, God deals with systems by creating models. So let me just walk this through real quick. We're going somewhere because this is where I believe y'all are going as a church. When God was ready to deal with the system, 
a system. What was the system? There was a system. Let me go all the way back. The system that rose up in the day of Noah, in the day of Noah, there was a system that had taken over. What was it? It was a Babel, Babel, system of Babel. I call it the system of Babel. What's the system of Babel? The system of Babel before that is everyone is building outside of God's order. The system of Babel is one idea without God as the center. Building outside of God's order. A Babel system. Not Babylon, but a Babel system. In a Babel system, God says, I have to raise up a new model. What's the new model? Find one man who will operate in my order without seeing results. Because in the system of Babel, all they cared about was results. Every time we build, we go higher. So it's about their success was what fooled them into disobeying God. Every time we build, we go higher to the point that if we want to reach heaven, even we can reach heaven without God. We know how to do it without him, so why even involve him? The system had gotten so good they could have success without even talking to God. So God said, the way I'm going to interrupt this system is create a new model. What's the new model? I need a man who's going to look like a failure for 120 years, but trust me while he loses reputation. God begins to create a model that destroys a system by building the opposite in front of people. So God says, when you're convinced that success is your ability to produce it on your own, I'll bring someone whose success is obeying me. And I'll let them obey me in front of your success so that you can mock them, belittle them, and make fun of them. Why? Because God does not mark success by how much you amass in your bank account, how much strength you have to your name, how many people say you're wonderful. God marks success by how much obedience can you display in the face of opposition. And at the end of his obedience, what does that sound? I hear rain. I hear, what is this? There's water falling from the sky. Remember, there had never been rain. So as water's falling from the sky and Noah's just sitting there smiling. <laughs> I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. I didn't know it was going to take this long, but I knew it was coming. And here comes the rain. And now the rain begins to increase. When God creates a new model, time is perfecting your attitude. So God will not give you success in the beginning of the model. The beginning of the model is to perfect your desire to obey him rather than your need for reputation. Well, we know the Lord said to do this, but we haven't seen them as much success as we thought. But if you heard him, stay there. But we're waiting for more people to join us. But you heard him. Stay there. We're waiting for the money to come. Doesn't matter about the money. The money will find you. Stay there. God is testing you. And that's when you have to choose to let people who don't trust the model get off the boat. <laughs> oh, I know I'm walking good this morning. I, I know I heard him. And you have to choose while you're hammering the nails in the gopher wood. You have to choose while you're putting the mud on the side of the wall. You have to choose while two elephants and two tigers and two hippos are walking up into the boat beside you. You have to choose to not pay attention to the people who are getting off the boat while you're working according to obedience. Because there will come a moment when the boat starts floating, when the model starts working, when you start changing nations, 
When you start affecting generations, there will come a moment when there is miracles and healings. There comes a moment when the house is full of glory that everybody goes, we knew it would happen. No, you threw your hammer down years ago. You get to ride, but you don't get to direct. You threw your hammer down. <laughs> so I'm saying to some this morning, get your hammer back in your hand. Because the boat's about to float. The boat's about to float. Oh, I'm doing good this morning. I've enjoyed this. You know what I love, Pastor Jerry? When I see faces get tight, I know I'm right. I'm going to stick right there. I ain't moving. I ain't shifting. Right there. Now, second thing. When we're walking in an apostolic model that is so powerful, look at Abraham. Abraham, when the Lord calls him, we talk about Abraham moving, but why? There was a system, a system. Now, we talk about Sodom and Gomorrah, and we look at the sin. That's a different example we can talk about later. I want to talk about the system of Sodom. What was the system in Sodom? The system in Sodom was people had less value than money. People had less value than money. What was the word that was spoken? Abraham, you take. Ah. Come on, Bible scholars. He says, Abraham, when the king of Sodom confronts Abraham, when he had rescued the people, Abraham brought them back. The king of Sodom said, Abraham, you take the goods. Give me the people. He said, I'll exchange. I don't even want the people, people who are my people living in my country who you rescued from me. I don't care anything about their life. I just want the exchange, whatever their value is. The system of Sodom was a system that only saw people for what they could produce. Straight value. Didn't see them as a soul. Didn't see them as a spirit. Saw them as a commodity. So God raises up a man who's a righteous man who says, I will fight a nation to rescue one nephew when the king wouldn't fight to save an entire city. Ah. Because the model has to be if you're moving by faith, every person in your family has the potential to change the world. So I don't know which one of you is going to change the world, but that means I got to fight for all of you. I don't know which one of these kids is going to raise up and shift the way their generation thinks. So I got to fight for all of them. I don't know which homeless person I walk by is going to one day stand up and be a prophet of God. So I got to be good to every one of them. I don't know what stranger I encounter might be an angel unaware. So I've got to be good to every one of them. Since I can't discern who God is hiding inside of, I have to be good to everybody so I have to put value on every soul which is why Jesus died for every man and if I recognize that the Abrahamic model is to value every person then I can break the Sodomic system of valuing money more than people God raises up models to break systems one more and then I'm almost done Oh, all right. All right now. See, I see the prophetic's been working. Y'all are hungry. I says, hungry. When God raises up Elijah, Elijah's job was to confront a Jezebel system. The system he was confronting. What was the Jezebel system? That intimidation, governmental control could push the church into a place of subservience and obedience. So that you can still exist, but you better keep your mouth closed. You can pray to your God, but you better not talk about mine. You can talk about Jehovah, but just be quiet about it. It was a controlling system operating to push the people of God into a place of slave mentality. Why did God raise up an Elijah? 
because we don't know anything about his mother nor his father. The Bible says Elijah, like Christ, would come along. Elijah was an Old Testament representation of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was not a theophany, but he was very close to a theophany. A theophany is when God manifests in the Old Covenant as a form and fashion of himself to show us something about himself. Elijah represented Jesus in his power. Elijah, we don't know the name of his mother nor of his father. He did not die and go into the grave as a man would go. So when he rose up, it spoke of resurrection power, representative of Jesus. Elijah has his Elisha and he calls him forward and he puts the presence of God upon him and he pulls two others along, representing what? The church that would operate as a team and would move in the presence and power of God. So we see the very nature of Christ revealed in the old covenant. Now, what was it about him that was amazing? He was a model of how to shift governments. How did he shift the government? Number one, there must be one truth that is spoken loud enough that everybody hears it. Number two, there has to be power to back up the truth. Elijah shows us how a church can change any nation. Truth is not enough to change governments. Truth with power changes governments. Truth with power. If there is no power behind that truth, they ignore us. If there is power but no truth, they forget us. They'll remember the miracle, but you didn't say nothing. But if there is word that is remembered with power that cannot be ignored, those two things moving together is the church taking nations, upsetting cities and pushing governments to an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the job of the apostolic model. That is the job of the church that in every place God puts us, that we bring a truth that cannot be ignored and power that cannot be stopped. And when those two things are loose, it is Jesus walking on water. It is Peter standing at the gate. It is the children of God calling upon his name. It is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego living in the middle of the flames. It's Daniel standing with the lions all around him. If we walk in the power of God and the truth of God, it is Deborah and Barak bringing victory to a nation. It's Zechariah seeing oil coming out of the tops of the candlesticks. It is the prophets of God prophesying with power. If we operate in the power of God and the truth of God, we become unstoppable. If we believe there is no power on this planet greater than your God. There is no truth that can outlive the scripture. There is no lie that is greater than his word. Everything he gave you is yours. And if we operate in it, the kingdoms of this world tremble for the sound of the advancing church. If we operate in it, then governments begin to bow down before the risen king because they understand he alone has power. He alone has victory. God raises up a model to knock down a system. We're praying for systems to fall. God said, I can't take down a system till y'all have the model right. Why? Because someone has to move into the gap left open by the people we're trying to replace. So the Lord says, if I move a king out of the way, which righteous man shall step in? If I move a mayor or a governor, are you ready? Ah, so could it be? We're just talking for a minute. Could it be that God has not given us the answer we're waiting for because we have not prepared ourselves to be the replacement? Because until we're ready to be the replacement, God said, I can't leave the door open. Why? Because if I remove that one and you're not ready, seven worse than them might show up. Perfect example. I spent... Months of my life, multitudes of months in Zimbabwe. I've been to Zimbabwe 42 times. I have lived a long part of my life in and out of Zimbabwe. Living in the villages, Bulawayo, Moshvingo, Mutare, living in the villages, living in Harare, preaching. I lived there. I ate what they ate. When there were times for 18 to 20 hours a day, there was no electricity. I was there with no electricity and preaching to the people. Loved it, was content to be there, did not want to move back to America. 
I remember we began to pray that the Lord would begin to bring a shift in the government. And some of you know that about a year or so ago, all of a sudden, Mugabe, finally, they took him out of power. But then you also know a few months ago, people started fighting again. Let me tell you what happened. I asked some of my friends there. They said, we prayed and the Lord finally moved and Mugabe was moved from power. But the people we thought would step up weren't ready. So when God moves a strong man out of a position, he waits for the church to replace him. If the church is not ready, the enemy comes back in because we left the seat open. For you are a nation of kings and priests. I'm, I'm saying this for a reason. I believe this house is going to be instrumental in shifting cities and bringing the presence of God to places you've never even dreamed of. I believe the Lord is going to use you to go into nations and bring a reformation of worship and unity and community. I believe the Lord is going to out of this house birth out churches more numerous than you've ever dreamed. I believe out of this place. You've got to up the level of your dreams. I believe out of this house, there's going to be a hundred churches birthed around the world that is going to become a network of transformation. And you've got to begin to dream bigger than you've been dreaming. I also believe that the Lord is calling some of you to begin to dream deeper and pray for more and go after more. Why? Because as soon as the network begins to explode, he's going to need you to be ready. So the size of what God gives you is equal to your level of preparation. The size of what God will give you is equal to your preparation. Don't limit your destiny by being unprepared. Why? Because a lack of preparation is unbelief in public. Because what you didn't believe in private, you kept to yourself. So you didn't prepare. Now that God has given public opportunity, we can all see, oh, man. He really didn't believe. She really didn't believe. They really didn't trust. How do we know it? They didn't prepare. How do we know you didn't think you was really pregnant? You didn't buy no baby clothes. Because <laughs> if you really thought you was pregnant, you would have had the room painted by now. Your lack of preparation is a revelation of what you truly believe on the inside. Oh, so if you're going to touch nations. Are you preparing to do it? You're prophesying it. Are you preparing? Are you getting ready? Are the teams praying? Not about what God's doing here. Are you praying about what's coming? Are you shooting your faith toward the nations you're going to? Have you laid out a map in your prayer room and begun to walk around the map and say, what nations will we go to? And when we get into this nation, we thank you that teams will already be waiting for us. Resources shall meet us. We thank you when we get off the plane, there shall be no evil, no, pro no, no destruction, no distractions, no accident. We thank you in advance that when we get there in our future, we will have people waiting to meet us. We thank you that the churches that need to connect to us are already seeing our faces in the spirit. So when we walk into their village, they will say, this is the man I saw. We thank you in advance that you're preparing for us a place of blessing. We thank you, Lord, that we'll never have to pay a bribe in that place because where others have paid bribe, you're working on their hearts. And when they see us, they'll fall down and call upon your name. We thank you, Lord, that nobody will shoot a bullet at us. And if they shoot, the bullet can't hit where we're driving. We thank you that none of our vehicles will have a problem. You've got to pray that way in advance. There's a great man of God named Gerald Durstein. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. <laughs> I like this side. I like this side. Gerald Durstein was preaching. This was many years ago. He's been home to be with the Lord for many years. He had a great place in Bradenton, Florida. It was a retreat center that people would go to. It was one of the first retreats I ever went to when I was a teenager. You know who I'm speaking of. Yes, sir. Gerald Durstein was a mighty man of God. My first retreat that I went on when I was 16 years old was down on his property. 
The presence of God was so thick down in Florida. In the midst of the flies and the mosquitoes, angels were everywhere. I couldn't tell which one was an angel. One of those mosquitoes was so big, I thought I, that's got to be a seraphim, but it was a mosquito. It was a... <laughs> if you've ever been to Florida in the middle of the summer, you know, whoo, you either came from the throne or from hell itself. I don't know. You just too big. I'm not religious. I apologize. <laughs> Amen. Gerald Durstein stood up in the midst of one of the meetings. He said, I need to tell y'all what it means to live in destiny. He said, I was in the middle of ministering in Egypt. He had preached to a group of men and the power of God had come and many of them had gotten born again. And then the Muslims were chasing him. His car took off. They're in the car and his driver is getting him around down these dirty streets and they're swinging around these corners and dust is flying and they're trying to get him safely back. But they couldn't take him to the hotel because the men were waiting there with guns. So they're taking him from house to house trying to get him safely. And the Lord said to him, say to your driver, drive straight and do not turn again. Gerald Durstein put his hand on his shoulder and said, drive straight and do not turn again. He said, but, but, but they're waiting for us. Drive straight and do not turn again. As they continued to drive, the men who were chasing him, one car coming this way, another car coming down this street, they're shooting, they're shooting at him. And all of a sudden they stop shooting at him and they're shooting at the car that just went right past him and they're chasing that car. <laughs> Gerald Durstein said he turns and he looks and sitting in the car was him. Mm. <laughs> No, oh, oh, it gets better than this. In the car that's driving in the opposite direction, he sees an exact identical twin of himself. They begin to chase that car and they're shooting. And he says he's watching going. He said, I almost told the driver, chase him. I want to see what happens. They keep going forward. They get him back to a different hotel. He goes in, he says, and he says, Lord, I want to know what happened. Two days later, as he's preaching from church to church, place to place, these men come in. They said, we need to know what happened to you. He said, what do you mean? Who are you? We are the men that shot you dead. We shot your car full of holes. We shot you and you should be dead. He said, you didn't shoot me. I kept going down the street. I saw you chasing someone else. He said, Lord, who did they shoot? And the Lord said, I sent your angel. <laughs> See, the Bible says that when Peter was brought out of prison and he made it back to the house where they were praying and they opened up the door and they said, Peter stands at the door. What did the women say? No, it's just his angel. They were so convinced that Peter's angel looked just like Peter. They didn't even open the door until Peter started talking. What God will do for those that step into destiny. What God will open for those that move in an apostolic model. The signs and wonders that become the normal way of life. To live outside of the normal things and to see the supernatural become the natural. God is calling you into a place where the very glory of God will sit upon your family. Where God will invade your business and your home. Where God will move for you in such a way that you will spend your life laughing at the miracles he gives you. He is calling you into a place where your mind ceases to be your place of function. But your spirit is. Let your mind catch up to your spirit. Stop slowing down your spirit so your mind can work. It's got to be the reverse. You got to go by your spirit. Moved by the Spirit. How do you get there? This apostolic model. The model that he's building. In the book of Acts, these last few things I want to touch on. Number one, in the book of Acts, as we see an apostolic model being built, he says these things, these phrases show up, and they had all things. Number one, and they continue daily in the apostles' doctrine. What does that mean? You have to give yourself to the word. The word has to be the first place you go to make a decision, not your opinion, not someone else's opinion, not what sounds good. It has to be the word. If it doesn't line up with the word, it can't line up with you. 
Doesn't matter how good it sounds. That's why the book of Proverbs is so good. It's life saving. Doesn't matter how much I like somebody. If they're not living a Proverbs life, you don't get money out of me. Proverbs life said, don't give money to a fool. This is the model. This is the model. Why? Because God is going to trust us with more and more wealth to do kingdom things. But he's not going to trust you with kingdom wealth if you're making foolish decisions. So the Lord says to all of us, go through your life. Proverbs now must become where you dwell in provision. God will give you supernatural provision if you operate with supernatural principles. Ah, they're getting quiet on me, brother. They're getting quiet. The power of living outside of the economy of man is the supernatural provision of God that he promises to everyone who operates in his model. In the apostolic model in the New Testament church, they never once ever were in lack. Not one time. Not one time. It was impossible for them to dwell in lack. Why? Because even in the place of barrenness, God sent provision through the model of unity. That we had all things common unto ourselves. So if we are operating by the principles of God and I know your life and I've seen you operate in truth, then your need becomes my need. So it's impossible for me to let you dwell in poverty in lack or in brokenness. If I've seen you walk out the principles, I am obligated by God to partner with you until your season changes. So poverty gets broken in the apostolic model. How do I know it works? Because we've been working it in Mexico. I worked it in Zimbabwe. We preached it in Africa. The Lord said to me, if this works in Africa, preach it here, live it here. And if it works here, don't you ever be afraid to preach it in America. Why is it we'll talk about money everywhere but here? I'm going to walk this thing. I'm visiting so I can say stuff. Because if you get mad at me, that's all right. I'm going to be eating a meal in a few minutes. We good. (laughs) I'm too old to be afraid, and I know him too much to apologize. The truth of it is, the reason we don't talk about money and finance like we need to in the kingdom, Jesus talked about money more than he talked about healing. And the reason we don't deal with it is because we've been conditioned because the enemy knows going back to the time when the apostolic model lost its power after the first few hundred years and we became religious instead of powerful. The first thing he went after was our understanding of wealth, because if he could cripple the church financially, we cease to be apostolic in model because you can't build where you don't own. So you can't take over a city if you don't own land there. You can't influence a government if you don't have the power to influence it. You can't change a school system if nobody in your church owns anything in that county. So the enemy says the quickest way I can cause the church to be powerless is to get them to stop talking about finances. To convince the church they have to operate under the same economy as the world. So we began to get in debt. Then once the church was in debt, we began to explain that we couldn't do it unless we borrowed. So now we borrow to build. So we go from being lenders to borrowers, which the Bible says we should not be. So now we're borrowers, not lenders. We're now askers, not givers. Then we're living under the system of the world. So the economy of the world begins to control us in 30 years of ministry. I've never wrote a letter telling folks I had a need. (laughs) And in 30 years of ministry, we've got schools overseas, a hospital that we just finished in Ethiopia. Jim will testify to this. They've seen everything that we built for the Lord and I've never asked for money. Why? Because if I practice the principle myself, money finds me. Once I practice it myself, I taught everybody who worked with me, you got to practice this. Why? Because if you don't practice it, it's I have a rule. If you ain't a tither, you can't be on my staff. Amen. Come on, Come on. Come on. Why? Because you can't be a thief and be blessed. This is good. This is so good. The Lord said to me, this is part of the apostolic model in the apostolic model. Why am I teaching this? Ananias and Sapphira. The apostolic model 
that changes cities and nations. Five things in the apostolic model. They had same doctrine. They were givers. They were worshipers. They were bold. And they had miracles. If those five things are not present, it is not an apostolic model. They were powerful in worship. They were powerful in giving. They were powerful in the word. They were powerful in understanding who they were in God. Now, the reason Ananias and Sapphira is in Scripture, because we look and go, God is so good. Why did he throw this in here? Because it's an apostolic model. In the apostolic model, the reason it's mentioned is this. There was an old covenant law that says if you sold your land and brought it to the priest and you said these words, I have sold my property for this and I give all unto the Lord. Once you said those words, the priest was to take what you gave him and command blessing back on you. This is why Peter, who was now operating as a high priest or a priest, because you are now a kingdom of priests and kings. Peter says, listen, you don't have to lie. (laughs) But did you give it? Did you sell it for this much? When Ananias shows up, he says, I have sold it for this much and I give it all to you. He said the words of the covenant. When he said the words of the covenant, he was declaring before God as an old covenant act before God himself. You now have to bless me because I've operated by your word, which is why Peter said you didn't lie to me. You lied to the Holy Ghost. So I'm not even handling your money now. You called God into the transaction. That's right. So since God was just called to handle your money, when God touched the money, short circuit. <laughs> Why? If you had just given it to the church and been quiet, you would have had the blessing of an offering. But you didn't want the blessing of an offering. You wanted the blessing of priestly obedience. And you declared before the spirit of God that you were fully obedient. So you were saying to the Holy Ghost, I dare you to prove I'm a liar. Ooh, you have to understand apostolic models. That's a different level. So when he declared before God and the church, I dare you to prove I'm a liar. The Holy Ghost said, "Okay, liar, (laughs) ma'am. Now you look like a piece of fried cheese. What you going to do? Just fry. Just look at you. Look at you. Just mm, 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 like burnt corn. Now laying there, they carry him out. His wife comes in and Peter says, I, I got to ask you a question. I, at the, you know, I, Steve, I'm like this. If I walk into church and somebody starts with, now, Michael, I need to ask you a question. Wouldn't your first response be, wait a minute, something is wrong. Okay. Sapphira, I need to ask you a question. She should have looked around. Where's my husband? (laughs) See, there's a whole lot of dysfunction we don't talk about in this story. She and her husband aren't even walking together. Because according to the law, when you come to present, you present as a family. So why are you coming by yourself and then your wife comes an hour later? That don't even make sense. Which means they're used to manipulating. Oh. Apostolic models. In an apostolic model, everything is built on truth. Which means every motive is tested and every heart is purified. Which means the Lord says, I'll bless anybody. But if you're going to walk in a place of authority, let your hands be clean. Let your heart be right. Apostolic model. Nations will be influenced by this house. You will go into nations and bring transformation. The voice of the Lord shall be heard from here and the sound of the Lord shall echo throughout the world from this place. 
There's going to be a creation of worship and innovation that goes out of here. New sounds, new ways to produce worship, new books that are going to be written. There's a series of books that are coming out of this house that God is speaking to some of you already, but you're not releasing your books yet. You've got to begin to release. There's a series of books from leaders in this house over the years that God has taught you. God wants you to come together and find out what are you going to call your publishing house? Because it's going to come out of the desert from this place. It's going. What are you going to call the revelations and teachings you're going to teach to others? It's coming out of this house. What are you going to call the worship that comes out of here? You don't look at the house as it is now. You look where you're going. So start planning where you're going. What are you going to call it? Why? It won't show up till you name it. <laughs> it won't show up till you name it. In an apostolic model, God doesn't give it to you and then say name it. In a prophetic model, he does. But in an apostolic model, you have to name it and then it shows up. You have to call those things that be not as though they are. You have to call it out of nothing. You have to walk around and say, this desert shall be full of revival. You have to walk around the church and say, Lord, we thank you that we'll have three services every Sunday. You got to walk around and say, Lord, we thank you that we're going to own another campus on the other side of town. God, we bless your name that we'll have five buildings all over Southern California where we're raising up the sound of the Lord. We thank you that joy, peace, love shall be a name that is respected and honored and known for carrying revival. We thank you that JPL will be heard of and they will say that is the place that the rivers flow through. You've got to begin to say what God is saying. Here's why I'm acting like this. Because I met a dear friend of mine. His name is David Crabtree. David Crabtree, for some of you that might know his name, he's a phenomenal man of God. I didn't know who he was the first time I met him. I was playing Uno with him. (laughs) At one o'clock in the morning. Uno. If you've never played Uno, you are missing a joy in God. Amen. Amen. And you've got to play real Uno. We played Uno with the machine that spits out the car. Oh, yeah, baby. That was good Uno right there. I can't play poker no more, but I still play Uno. So I'm playing Uno. We just got Uno. And we're sitting around the table. David Crabtree. I said to him, Dave. I didn't know who he was. I said, Dave, what you got? He looks at me. He says, Oh, no. I looked at him. I said, I bind that spirit in the name of Jesus. And we just started laughing. And it was him and about eight other pastors and leaders. We're down in New Zealand playing because we had ministry the next day. We were all flying in that day. So all we did was eat a meal and sat up and played Uno and got to know each other. I said to him, so tell me about your church. He said, oh, I've got a little church, a little church. I said, yeah, okay. He said, yeah. I'm across the street from an, another church you might know a little bit better. I said, no. He said, yeah, yeah. He said, the church across the street from me is Hillsong. Yeah. I said, <laughs> I said, Hillsong's across the street from you. He said, yeah. He said, so I have a little church and they've got the big church. I said, oh, okay. And then he laughs. I said, well, how big is your church? He said, 8,000. I said, ha, 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 ha. He said, in comparison to their church, which is 29,000, my church is a little church. This is what he said. He said, we decided to speak well of each other and build each other up. Because those who were supposed to be with us wouldn't be with them, but those who were supposed to be with them wouldn't be with us. He said, but as we blessed each other, we both grew. Why am I saying that? In an apostolic model, we Push each other to become the best. There is no fear of anybody else's church becoming great. Why? Because if all of us are trying to win the city, there's too many people in this city for any of our churches to hold. I'm going to say these two things. Then I'm done. (laughs) I hear both doubt and unbelief. I hear doubt and unbelief. It's it's making me nervous, Pastor Steve. Doubt and unbelief. After all this preaching, I just understood. (laughs) One, 
Expect unexpected interference, invasion, and breakthroughs. Unexpected interference, invasions, and breakthroughs. The Holy Spirit is about to interfere with a lot of your lives. He's going to interfere. He's going to start doing stuff that annoys you. No, I'm saying it like that on purpose because the Lord is going to disturb sleep right while you're in the middle of doing something really important. He's going to say to you, I want you to go and pray for that girl right now. Go and give that guy a word. Lord, I need to do this. This is so important. Important to you, not important to me. Now go do this. Now, he's not going to make you weird. What he's doing is he's rewiring you. Let me make a difference. You're not going to be weird. Weird is you do stuff that makes no sense, not even to God. (laughs) Rewiring is God is shifting your thinking so he can change your values. Okay. So God is about to rewire some of you by interrupting what you think is important. He's going to interfere with you. The second part, he's going to interrupt. Interrupt what? He's going to interrupt your house. Interrupt your life. How does God interrupt your house and your life? God is going to wait until you're in the middle of a meal. You're with your kids. And he says to you, instead of telling them how dumb they are, why don't you stop and prophesy over your kids? Instead of arguing with your husband or your wife, why don't you stop and just tell them three things you think are wonderful about them? Instead of you getting upset that they failed that test, why don't you stop and start telling them how smart you know they are? God is going to interrupt your family and give you the opportunity to change the language of connection. Why? Because we can't take the city if we can't take our house. Lord, send me to nations. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. I wouldn't send you down the street yet. (laughs) Cause we walked by your house when you didn't think we was there and we heard you 15 minutes earlier. You thought we was listening. You was all short. The Lord is with us and his glory. The glory of the Lord sits upon us. And I've seen 12 angels, three unicorns and four midgets. And they dance before the lightning of God and they have golden shoes. And yes, yes, I've heard the Lord say, we welcome you too. And so (laughs) some of you got the reference, some of you didn't. (laughs) And we go from these deep, amazing spiritual moments to one of the kids drops a bottle of mayonnaise or ketchup. And all of a sudden, you know how long it's going to take me to fix that carpet. I can't believe you. Next time you, if you ever pick up something like that again. And suddenly the people who were hiding inside of you are heard. (laughs) And the Lord goes, wait, 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 wait. You want me to use you to change nations. But the first nation I gave you is in your house. It starts at home. So he's going to invade us, interrupt us. And then the Lord is going to reveal himself. The power of his presence and the greatness of his glory. 